Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Justin Brown, who's the MD of Element 25. They're an Australian manganese developer with assets in Western Australia. We discussed the manganese market, because it's not something that we knew too much about, and their business plan and how they intend to fit into the manganese marketplace. We also look at their financing. They've got about 1.5 million in cash today, which could see them through to the end of the year at the current burn rate. They've got a two million facility recently signed with Acuity Capital and a royalty agreement with Silverstream, but that is subject to a listing on the TSX by that company. They are going to be issuing a PFS in June, July of this year, which will then require a pilot phase, which will need probably five to 10 million bucks. So we discussed you know, how he hopes to be able to do that. And he seems very keen to talk about his green credentials. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Justin, or good afternoon, Justin. How are you, sir? Very well, thank you. Good afternoon to you, or good morning to you, as the case may be. There you go. So you're in Perth. We're, we're here in, in good old Blighty. Um, Justin, thanks very much for uh, doing this call. I know it's a uh, particularly tricky time for miners all around the world. How are you, how are you faring? Yeah, look, we, we don't have some of the, the, the headaches that the, the, the production guys have because we're in the development stage. So, um, so fortunately for us, we don't have to deal with those day-to-day questions about how to move people around safely and things. But yeah, it's certainly having an impact. It is. It's, you're noticing it there in Paris. For sure. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot going on. Okay. Um, why don't we kick off with a one-minute summary and then we'll uh, pick it up from there. So um, I guess Element 25 is focused on uh, manganese. Um, we uh, started life as a diversified explorer um, and we tried our hand at a number of projects over the years until we discovered the Butcherbird Manganese Project in 2009-10 um, and have since grown that to be uh, Australia's largest onshore manganese resource and are moving through the feasibility uh, phase of developing it into a production hub for uh, high purity manganese. Um, and that's pretty much consuming our efforts and, uh, and money at the moment. Um, so we're well advanced for a pre-fees and we're, we're, um, we're expecting to deliver that in the next, uh, next couple of months. Uh, notwithstanding recent events which are slowing us down a little bit, but we're still on track. Okay, great. Th- thanks for the summary. Can we kick off? So I, I, I always like to understand with companies that are new to us, understand what the business plan is. You know, what did you guys set out to achieve? You know, what, what are you trying to build here? And you know, how do you think you're going to be able to deliver this? Because when I'm you know, looking through your presentation, you touch upon a lot of different topics here. And as a sort of relatively small company, I'm, I'm interested in what you've got today and how you move that forward to the next step. So if you don't mind, give us a sense of what that plan is. Sure. So um, I guess the, the, the journey for us started with the discovery of the deposit. Um, subsequent drilling seasons basically grew that resource to its current uh, size, which is about 260 million tonnes in Jork resources. Um, more recently, we drilled out about um, 56 million tonnes of that to measure indicated status, which is going to form the focus of our development efforts. Um, so it's an enormous resource. So um, with a huge amount of intrinsic value in terms of the value of the contained manganese, the question for us was how to commercialise it. Um, and what we found in working with the CSIRO here in Perth was that the ore at bird is extremely amenable to uh, hydrometallurgical leaching of the ore into solution. 
Um, and what that did was open up a pathway or a possible pathway for us into making high purity uh, manganese products rather mm. than following a traditional Australian method or model of exporting ores, which is what we typically do with iron ore and, and copper and, and, and most other metals that we produce. Um, and so we've spent the last couple of years uh, basically developing the strategy to produce manganese metal, uh, which is a 99.7% pure metal product. Um, and of course, the new thematic is the the consumption of high purity manganese sulfate in lithium ion batteries, which is what goes in. You're, you're, just, you're describing to me you know, a, a mining operation. I'm, I'm more interested in like what you set out to do. I mean, were you, were you an explorer, a project developer? You know, were you looking to you know get into production here yourselves? You know, and you know, what is this thing that you're trying to build? First of all, you talked about okay, we it start it started with identifying the resource. I mean, you set out to identify manganese. Was that was that what you were looking for for day one? So we, we've historically been commodity agnostic. So we've actually in the course of our, our years of existence, which has been um, since 2006, we listed on the ASX. Mm. Um, we've um, had crack at gold, uh, copper, uh, nickel to a lesser extent, um, and now manganese. Our, our strategy is to find the project that mm. will take us from being an explorer to being a developer. So we've identified the Butcherbit project as that project, and we believe that it is the one that will take us into um, a producer status, um, and the work is, is focused on that. But but again, in terms of you know what skill sets have you got in house to be able to deliver the business plan? Sure. You know, you're 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 ten million Aussie, ten million dollar yes. market cap company today. Um, I appreciate you you have been higher at points, but um, you're early stage, right? So you're explorers yes. in in terms of your skill set um, in in house. So what realistically are you going to be able to do with this thing in the next year? To, up till about two years ago, we were an exploration company. Um, if you look at the team that was in place then, it comprised um, myself, uh, an exploration manager, and um, project geologists who were, had you know, very focused skills in the exploration space. If you look at the team now, other than myself, we've, we've bolstered the team with extensive experience in uh, process engineering, uh, mining engineering, um, the uh, modeling of hydrometallurgical flow sheets. We've also bolted on the expertise of a group of uh, high experienced consultants in the form of Lycopodium, Advisian, um, and um, all well known brands here in the mining community. So I think Western Australia, Perth, being a mining centre, has the luxury, if you like, of being able to quite quickly adapt from being an exploration uh, skill set focused team to a production skill set focused team. Now, we're not there yet, we're still transitioning, but we see the next 12 months will continue that journey. Um, and um, in 12 months' time, you won't recognise us as an exploration company anymore. I mean, I mean, tell me a little bit more about the team's relevant experience for not only the stage of development, yep. but with regards to manganese, because I think that's important. So Ian Hewitson is a, um, a manganese, he's been a manganese for 20 years. He's our study manager. Mm -hmm. He's a mining engineer by profession, um, worked up at the Woody Woody Mine for Consolidated Minerals, as well as a couple of other mines here in Western Australia. Um, so he's very experienced both in the, the exercise of digging manganese out of the ground and, and marketing it, um, but also in the mining industry in general here in Western Australia. So there's cross regulations, permitting approvals, etc. as well. Um, Neil Graham is a, is a process engineer of, of some 30 years experience. He has built um, various hydrometallurgical plants and operated them um, in multiple jurisdictions, including Malaysia, uh, the UK and, and Australia. So he's 
well-versed, not just in the theory of doing it, but also in the practicalities of, of implementing a, a process plant design. Um, and then the, um, you know, there's other skill sets like resource calculations, which are um, without sounding tried a dime a dozen here in Perth, there's a number of consulting groups. We use IHC Robbins, a very experienced um, mining consultancy here, um, as well as like the podium and Invisium that I touched on before. So um, very specific experience in both in, in mining generally, but also manganese and in particular the downstream processing of, of metals as well. Okay, so, so what's going wrong then? Because you, you're looking for presumably a, a kind of re reset in terms of your valuation moving from explorer to developer. So you, 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 know, you want to push that story out there, but that's not being reflected in your share price. It's not being reflected in the chat in some of the forums and, 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 and chat rooms. No, no one's discussing your company, it seems. Is that because they don't understand manganese or you aren't doing enough to talk to the market? What, what's, what's going on? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think, um, I think manganese itself was in a very difficult period for several years from about 2012 to 2016. Um, it kind of fell off the radar, radar for most investors, I think educating people into understanding manganese as a metal and the value proposition that it has. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the fourth largest traded metal globally. It actually has a huge role to play in steelmaking, um, in particular, more recently, uh, battery construction. Um, so I think lack of education is part of it. Um, in terms of the downstream processing, one of the challenges is that Australia doesn't do a lot of it, right? So when you try and explain to people that you're gonna do this process that traditionally has been done in China, um, and you're going to do it more cheaply than China. You need to you need to prove that to people, right? So, we haven't been in a position to put an economic analysis out on what the project looks like as a business case. Um, the rules here around scoping studies have tightened up significantly in recent years to the point that um, you're not actually, in many cases, allowed to put out any economic forecasts or models in a scoping study level document. So, to do that, we need to produce a pre-feasibility level document, which is what we're focused on doing. So I think um, I think that knowledge vacuum and the fact that people can't see what this looks like as a business case and where it sits on the global cost curve is hindering our progress in terms of promotion. Um, delivering that pre-feasibility study will change that, I believe. Um, and probably the other thing that's happened that I think will uh, get people's attention is our most recent announcement showed that we are actually going to be in a position most likely to do a staged development strategy where we're going to actually start mining manganese concentrate and shipping that as a stage one early cash flow op opportunity followed by um, the larger more capital intensive downstream processing plant so yeah education um, matt i think is the key and and i'm um, you know a bit of a lone hand so i think as people start to understand what the business looks like um, as an investment opportunity with the pre-feasibility publication um, I'm hoping that that sentiment will change. Okay, so, but before you can do those things, you're going to need money, right? So I noticed a couple of right. announcements around royalty offtake, but that is conditional on a company being able to list on the TSX in this environment. Chances are that's going to be delayed, right? Yes. Um, but should they be able to, or when they are able to, um, there's a, a sum due to you, 500,000 bucks. Is that Canadian or Aussie? No, that's that's Aussie. That's Aussie. Well, I guess it's the same thing, roughly, with the exchange. More or less. Yeah. yeah. That's same. true. Yep. Um, and then you've got a facility, a $2 million facility. Now, talk to me about those things. When I see the word facility, it means both sides have got optionality here. So what is it in reality? 
Yeah, so if I could just step back a little bit and talk about the, the funding um, more holistically. So really, we have we have cash in the bank to the tune of about 1.7 million. We also have investments in listed ASX stocks to the tune of about 3 million. So there's, today, there's a little over 3 million today. today. Yeah, they were a lot higher that, until recently. So today they're about 3 million, which is, which is disappointing. Um, they're probably half in value if you look at them compared to where they were um, three months ago. Um, so that's available to us. The, um, we also have a, a transaction we completed with a, a listed company called RareX, which has um, a, an escrowed parcel of shares that's coming out of escrow um, this Tuesday, actually. <coughs> and then we have the box royalty agreement, which, as you quite rightly said, is 500000 um, And the acuity capital facility is a at-market um, facility which allows us to trigger on-market sale of shares um, at a agreed floor price, which we then convert into, into working capital by issuing shares at, at the discounted price. So the optionality is on our side with that completely. So let's let's break down some of those numbers, okay? So you, I think the, the acuity facility to me would be a last resort. Um, you've got some cash in the bank now. What's your burn rate? How long would that last you? We'll, we'll burn about 1.5 this year um, with current plans. Okay, so not too bad. You've got these 3 million bucks worth of shares in, I don't know what type of company, so I have no idea how quickly you could actually liquidate those, or, or indeed if, if, if you could. I don't know too much about it. but The, the principal investment is actually in a, um, in a project financing level, uh, Potash project called, or the company's called Danakali. Uh, limited, so um, they're a um, you know market cap in the order of uh, 100 million bucks. Um, so not impossible to liquidate, but um, in the current um, you know, market conditions, not brilliant either. So, uh, but we're obviously monitoring that as we as we go forward. Okay. Okay. So, so the reality is, your current cash is enough to um, is sufficient to take you through to the end of this year based on current plans, right? Correct. So let's talk about. What are your current plans? What are you going to try and do this year? You talked about a PFS. I assume that's part of part of the story. Yeah. So I think the first thing that, or the next thing that investors will see, is the pre-feasibility study on the the uh, development of a stage one ore export uh, operation. Um, the second thing that they're going to see is the delivery of the pre-feasibility study into the larger scale high purity manganese production strategy. Um, that will then be followed by a pilot testing phase, which is which is co-funded under a government grant program. Um, so that some of the heavy lifting is done for us on that part of the part of the work. Um, and then I guess depending on how that all rolls out and how market conditions are looking at the conclusion of those phases of work, we would move into a definitive feasibility uh, piece of work, which would, which would start filling in that detail and getting the getting the project bankable. So you've done you've done a scoping study, but do you kind of skip out the PEA stage? Is that you don't do a preliminary? So the scoping study is, is equivalent to a PEA. That's, how, that's what we but, call a PEA. But you said you couldn't talk about economics in that. I mean, by definition, yeah, so in the, the title, we've got economics there. So what, what do you know around the economics today? So we, so we know that the, the scoping study looked very good. Um, but I'm not, unfortunately not allowed to disclose the numbers. It has to be kept as an internal document. Um, the, the new disclosure rules that are basically stipulated by the Australian Securities and Investment Commission prevents me from telling you anything about it. Um, and so that is something we used internally to justify the decision to move to a PFS. Right. Okay. Well, there, thereby skipping a, 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 an overhead, I guess. But it would make me nervous because 
you're talking about you're comfortable and you can say whatever you want about your scoping yes. study because you can't tell us about it. And you're saying just Correct. wait, the PSF, PFS will be fine. But yes. typically a PEA, which you know, is not that expensive, would give the market comfort, surely. Yeah, no, we, well, so we did the equivalent of the PA, which is what we call a Yeah, but you can't study. tell me about it, though. But I can't tell you about it. That's not something that's in my control. So the only way I can disclose a financial model to you is to complete the pre-feasibility study and release that to the market. And that's what we're focused on doing. Okay, so you've kind of effectively skipped a stage that we in the market or investors would typically look for. Yeah, so we haven't skipped doing the work, but we've skipped telling you because we're not allowed to tell you. So that's, but that's your choice. But, but the point is that you've made that choice to say we're not, we're going to do something which is going to not allow us to talk to the market about the economics and give them confidence. No, no, so what happened, right? the new regime, sorry, I beg your pardon, it might not be familiar to your investors here, but the new regime is you do a PA or a scoping study and then you get told whether you can release it. So it's not a case of being told in advance whether you can release it. They tell you after you've finished it whether you can release it. Wow, that's new to me. Okay, interesting. When did that come in? So it's, it's, it's sort of been being rolled out for the last three years, I guess. Um, it's sort of more uh, aggressively enforced these days. Basically, the pattern, it's that they won't, the pattern seems to be a traditional gold type company that the, the, the ASIC is familiar with and comfortable with would typically be allowed to release their, their scoping level document. Um, more exotic metals or, or processes are often not allowed to. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of an interesting one. Um, not one I agree with, but it's one that we're stuck with. Okay. Well, I guess we'll have to go and find out a little bit more about that one because um, so we, we, we interview a few ASX companies, and that's not something we've come across uh, to, to date. Okay, well, let's, let's if you don't mind, can we just talk about the manganese market? <clears throat> Help people understand, what is the size of this thing? Who are the main players? I mean, you're going to tell me the Chinese, but, and, and you know, are you, is that who you're targeting in terms of um, whether it be offtake or otherwise? Yeah, so no is the answer to, to the, the last part of your question, but just to give your listeners a, a bit of a background, manganese is primarily used in steel making. Um, so around about uh, 18 million tons of, of manganese by manganese content is consumed globally each year. Um, that is made up, made up of about 60 million tons of manganese ore. Um, and the main production centers are South Africa, uh, Australia, Brazil, uh, a little bit comes out of Russia. And traditionally domestic production in China was quite a meaningful contributor to that. But that's actually been in decline in recent years. So Chinese domestic production is now quite limited um, and their requirement to import ore is, is going up each year. So um, it goes up roughly 10% a year. So a couple of years ago, they were 27 million tons. Now they're at 30 and this year, they'll probably be at about 35. So, um, so typically what happens then is manganese ore is put into a, a, a smelter and turned into an alloy product, which is the feedstock for steel making. Um, and if we were to export manganese ore, it would follow a similar path. So it would be used uh, most likely in smelting um, to make these intermediate alloy products to go into the steel mills. <clears throat> the, that makes up about 85% of the manganese market. There's a, there's a subset of the manganese market, which is about 15% uh, by volume, which actually makes up about 40% of the market by value. And that's these high purity manganese products, as we call them. And they're basically made up of two, two products. One is called electrolytic manganese metal, which is the, the high purity product I was talking to you about before, 99.7% pure manganese. 
um, and then there's a high purity manganese sulfate product. And, and those two um, commodities or products combined make up about 15% of the manganese market by volume, but about 40% by value. So they're much higher value products. So um, in, in pursuing that segment of the market, um, we go from being a high volume, low margin producer, like a typical bulk commodity producer, an iron ore miner or a manganese miner in a traditional sense, um, and we transition to being a, a, a lower volume, much higher margin business, so a more resilient business. And we actually moved down the cost curve quite significantly as well um, because of the amenability of our ore to these, these downstream processing um, uh, processes. So that's kind of manganese in a nutshell. Um, and um, yeah, so, so really um, Australia, South Africa, Brazil and Russia are the, are the key producers of this stuff. So how do you, how do you insert yourself into that ecosystem as it were you know like i say i kick them back you're, you're a small player you you're talking about going through pfs feasibility and at some point dfs at what point do you need to start introducing partners into this because pilot plants cost money um yes you know your capex is going to start building and you're going to need to have people who are already i guess in this ecosystem to help you so what does that what does that pathway look like for you yeah, so manganese ore, um, you know, I think I think one of the interesting things to a lot of end users of these products is security of supply. It's becoming an increasingly important part of their business models. Um, ethical supply and sustainable supply is becoming more and more talked about as well. So people care more about where their manganese comes from than they perhaps used to. Um, some other interesting uh, aspects of that is is some of the steelmakers um, outside of China. To, you know, I'm specifically talking about Japan, Korea, North America, and Europe. Um, are currently reliant on China for their high purity manganese needs because at the moment 97% of that material is made in China um, and they're desperate for an alternative supply. So they have, um, uh, they're very exposed to supply risk. If you look at the recent shutdown of China, um, a lot of their ports stopped literally overnight exporting these high purity manganese products that these steelmakers absolutely must have to continue producing their steel products. So that um, that really put the wind up them. So they they're very keen to see another um, producer outside of China to to make the supply side more robust. And we believe we're in a perfect position to fit that bill. And so they're giving us very strong indications that they're going to support this project. Um, and uh, it hasn't translated into binding commitments from them yet, but we're confident it will. Well, how do you, how do you do that? Okay, you, you know, you and a bunch of other people in a lot of other countries. <clears throat> are in the perfect position to do something about it. So what are those conversations that you're having? Who with and where where are you at? Is anyone listening? Yeah, so we, so there's three, yeah, they are listening. They're, they're absolutely listening. So there's three key parts to this project. So we basically have a need for a very sizable power supply. So if you're going to make electric manganese metal, you need about six and a half megawatt hours of power per ton of manganese metal that you produce. And that's just a, a simple um, property of physics, basically. So you need a you need a you need a reliable um, low cost power supply. Um, you need bankable offtake. So you need partners who are prepared to underwrite the revenue side of the business to satisfy bankers that you're going to be able to repay the debt um, of part of the project financing facility. Um, and that's where the steel mills come in in Japan, Korea, and the US because they want this supply. And we're saying to them, if you want to support, if you want the supply, you need to support the project. They have a history, particularly the Japanese, of investing. Um, in projects of this type, um, they typically take minority positions either in the company or the project, um, and there's a long list of examples of those. Um, and so we would envisage having similar conversations with these guys along those lines. 
like everybody, they need to see a PFS to understand the economics of the project before they're going to commit to this sort of stuff. But the early discussions are extremely uh, promising that those conversations will come to pass. Okay, so sorry, I missed one that you said there were three things. Uh, there was energy, offtake yeah. partner. Sorry, beg your pardon, and then the process. So the process is what's in our wheelhouse, if you like. So we're managing the process optimization and, and implementation in-house, and that's goes to the honest team I talked to you about before. So we'll basically um, own the process, develop the process, prove the process. We'll get uh, the revenue side of the business underwritten by these the offtake partners in Japan, Korea, North America, and Europe, and we'll have a, a strong bankable partner on the power side under a PPA agreement where we'll enter into long-term offtake contracts to buy power at an agreed price. So those three components will make the project bankable. And that should open the doors to equity players. So, um, you know, I think the debt carrying capacity will be fine um, based on the preliminary understanding of the economics. We need to we need to go through a process there, but um, then, you know, I think the disclosure of the PFS numbers will, will hopefully give confidence to the equity players that they, they want to get on board as well. Okay, can you talk to me about, just break those down for me if you don't mind. The, the energy side of things, that's the first thing you mentioned. So it's important, but, you know, sprinkled throughout your presentation, you seem very keen on the green, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's your thinking there? Because green doesn't always equate to cheap. No, no, it's, it's a fair, fair question. And um, it does in this case is my short answer. Um, the journey for us on the power solution, we identified very early that power is, is a key part of this project. So um, we have the good fortune of having the Goldfields gas pipeline run literally across the resource. Um, so we can we can hot tap that with no lateral required. So the capital uh, hurdle to get access to that gas is quite low compared to most projects. Um, so gas uh, is available to us, and that's how we started the journey at the scoping level uh, assessment. Um, we came up with a number around 12 cents a kilowatt hour using using a uh, reasonably conservative gas price. That's Australian. So if you convert that to to US, you're talking you're talking about uh, seven or eight cents US. Not brilliant, but not uncompetitive when you factor in the other advantages that we've got in terms of very cheap ore supply and a much more efficient process. So the journey following that was to say, look, what can we do to improve this? Um, and we educated ourselves over a period of about 18 months um, and got in some some consultants um, by the name of Advisian who are part of the Worley Parsons Group or, or now called Worley. Um, they basically took us on a journey to understand that, in fact, renewable energy here in Western Australia is cheaper than that. So if you look at the price of renewables here, you're probably going to look at, at uh, delivered energy prices of around $60 a megawatt hour or $0.06 cents a kilowatt hour Australian, which is incredibly cheap, um, and that's globally competitive. So the math is then pretty simple. If you can, if you can combine 50% renewable with 50% gas, you're going, to bring your, you're going to bring your price down to something around $0.99, $0.5 cents a kilowatt hour Australian. That puts you into a competitive uh, space, and then we're going to look through the journey to bring that down even further. So I can't give you a number of what that'll land at, but even at the prices that we have now, um, we could compete quite effectively. So um, so we'll be green, um, and it will be cheap. Okay. And, and so that, that, that would be a bought-in service, or were you, were you suggesting setting up your own infrastructure around the renewable solar and wind, presumably? Yeah, it's not locked in stone yet, we, but the conversations so far have been to, to uh, partner with an independent power provider to provide power under a PPA arrangement. That's the that's the, the, the base case. Um, we've had some good discussions with the North Australia Infrastructure Fund, which is a government fund here that is looking to invest or provide funding for infrastructure development in the northern part of Australia. 
Um, we're in their, their footprint. Um, they like the idea of what we're doing. Um, we've passed their strategic assessment level uh, review of the project. So if they were to get involved in funding it, uh, we could probably carry more on our balance sheet. Um, the, the base case, though, is to, is to partner with a bankable partner who can build it, operate it, and deliver power. Okay, so on the energy side, the PFS will <clears throat> reveal more. You'll make some decisions or you'll give some indications right. of which direction you're going. Okay, offtake. That seemed a bit vague and wishy-washy to me. Tell me, what conversations have you had, and how you know where are they in 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 the process? Because again, you're you're a small company. Are people going to be treating you seriously at this point, or do you need to have this PFS before they'll actually get into meaningful conversation and dialogue with you? Yeah. So we've been to Japan, Korea, had face-to-face discussions with the big steel mills there. Um, it's no secret that you've got JFE Steel and, and Nippon Steel in Japan and you've got Hyundai Steel and POSCO in Korea. Um, they're kind of the top one and two, respectively. Um, both conversations were extremely positive. Um, we believe it will lead to MOUs and then finally binding offtake. They do need to see the PFS before they're going to commit to those things. Um, but we are maintaining ongoing dialogue with these guys and they've made it very clear to us that they would like very much to see an alternative supply outside China and they'll support the project if the project's viable. Do you think they would do an MOU off the back of a PFS? I believe so, yes. Right. I guess we'll see. When's the PFS due? Uh, So, look, notwithstanding a a little bit of delay from the current sort of events, um, before before June, the end of the June quarter, I I would very much hope it's out. Okay. Okay, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see what comes out, out of that. Um, again, your presentation, it, it's, got, it's got some great phrases like break, breakthrough technology and, um, you know, and the like. And I'm just like, so, you know, it, it kind of slightly confused me, if I'm honest, because I'm trying to work yep. out what you're trying to be. Because, you know, are you yes. a miner or are you trying to be something further up the food chain? Um, yep. So why, why do you keep mentioning those, those sorts of things around the, around the technology so, so and the processing? Not, uh, yeah, so on one, on one hand, we're going to be a miner, um, but it's not going to be a mine of particularly large scale. Um, the, the base case, if we, for example, want to produce 100,000 tonnes of manganese metal, um, we need to mine about 1.5 million tonnes of ore. Um, so it's not a huge mine, um, but that would generate... Uh, sales of you know north of 200 million US dollars. So that, as a business size, it's meaningful. Um, as a mine size, it's quite small, um, and that reflects the value add that we are seeking to achieve through downstream processing of, of our ore. So the process that we, the technology we talk about is basically an extremely efficient leach that we developed in conjunction with the CSRO here in, in WA, um, and basically it, it extracts the manganese very efficiently and quickly under very benign conditions. So traditionally to to leach manganese ore, you need to either roast it to a thousand degrees Celsius and then use a sulfuric acid leach, or you have a very long um, 24 hour plus residence time in the plant to to do an acid leach of carbonated ores. Our process that we developed specifically for our ore extracts about 95% of the manganese in about 20 minutes at room temperature and, and atmospheric pressure. So it's a benign process, it's a very fast process, it's a very cheap process, and that means that we can get our ore into solution much more cost effectively than anybody else. And, that and just, that's our key component. Okay, so it, it, 
you get better recoveries. Okay. And is there anything proprietary about that, or is that just a slightly better version of what's being used elsewhere? No, it's, a bit, it's quite different to what others do. Um, the proprietary aspects of it, um, we are we have a provisional patent application in place for it. Um, it hasn't been through the whole process of, of review yet, um, but we believe that that it, it is patentable. Um, and you know, but one of the interesting things about geology, Matt, is that all deposits are slightly different. So there is a certain um, amenability of our ore to that process, and, and we're not clear yet as to who else might be able to use it, if anybody. They may not actually be able to use it, but our ore um, works extremely well. Right, there you go. I mean, yeah, that was literally where I was leading to, because I mean, we've had a few companies come on and talk about their intellectual property and proprietary technology, which is, as it turns out, they were trying to project that it was usable elsewhere and it had some value on the balance sheet, but the reality was it was fit for purpose for their own project only. Um, but, you know, thank yeah, you. Yeah, and thank it may well be the that. case here, and that's, that's how we're focusing on it. So we're seeing it as the perfect tool for what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the size of our resource, you know, we're going to have, uh, we're doing a 50-year pre-feasibility study to give you a sense of, of scale. Um, and that will only consume about 20% of the, of the current known resource. So, um, you know, we're talking about something that's going to keep us busy for a very long time. So we don't need to look at expanding the technology on other deposits. Okay, time. but you, you, again, just in terms of confusing messages, you talked about a small mine, but with a long life. Yep, correct. So you're, what you're trying to say is we're ecologically sound. We've got a small footprint, but we can keep going for a yep. long time. Right. Okay. Yeah. Understood. So we'll be. So, so it's an extractive industry still. Um, so you know, in some people's minds, that's that's a bad thing, and investors are being more careful about what extractive industries they invest in. Um, my argument would be that we're doing it much better than anybody else is doing it, and it'll be a much cleaner way of of, of getting these products than what current producers use, and that should hopefully satisfy investors because if you don't have manganese, you don't have a car, and you don't have a house, and so you need it. We're saying let's do it clean, or as clean as we can, at least. Right. You're, you're launching onto this battery revolution thematic of you know, you know, green, more sustainable uh, mining. Um, you're also trained as a zoologist, is that right? Once upon a time. Once I did. upon a time. Yes. Does that have much? Long time uh, ago now. Is that influencing your decision making? No, probably not. No, I, I left that behind because zoologists don't don't attract too many job offers. So I figured a geologist was a better opportunity for us. Don't tell my son that, that he wants to be one. So uh... Well, maybe nowadays it's it's more in demand, but certainly when I graduated, it was less so. So I think geology was the right choice, but uh, but uh, so far it's done, done okay for me. Yeah, it, it, it has. Well, I mean, thanks, Justin, for running through that. I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of intrigued um, by, you know, where you find yourselves. Um, Obviously, you know, how do you build this thing up? How do you get more people to actually understand what it is that you're doing um, and get engaged with this story? Because as to say, you know, we, we, we struggle to find much conversation about this, but it seems to me you're positioning yep. yourselves to be able to present more informed information into the market through the PFS and then hopefully some discussions. What are the, what are the things that you're looking uh, forward to? Obviously, the PFS in June, but what, what happens after that? Sequentially, yeah. So I think the new, so the new stage development strategy, I'm, I'm hopeful will will um, be more convincing to investors because we're going to look at a fairly low capex stage one to get into positive cash flow by exporting the manganese ore concentrate. Mm. Um, that PFS level study for that part of the project should be out in the next few weeks, um, and then we'll do the more detailed P 
PFS into the high-purity manganese production center. So having convinced people we can make money with a more traditional manganese mine, I'm hopeful then people will see that that's a, that's a stepping stone to the larger development um, and pilot testing of that process will happen in Q3 of the calendar year 2020 um, and pilot plant level testing should uh, dispel any any concerns over the, the viability of the metallurgical process um, and then it comes down to putting the project finance together. But, but so what, what does that look like? You told me you can last the end of this year with your 1.5 million cash but you know, if you get yep. PFS in June surely you need to be stepping things up and accelerating things. Are you going to need to raise cash? Yeah, correct. All things being equal later this I year? Think, no, we, we, we will most likely. Our, our plan was always post PFS to seek to attract uh, one or two um, uh, you know, institutional level investors who see the project for what it is. And we'll probably look for a raising of five to 10 million uh, second half of this year to take us through the DFS. Hopefully at a much higher valuation, right? Hopefully at a much higher valuation, that's the plan. Okay. Well, look, um, Justin, thanks for um, coming on the show, letting us uh, hear the story. Um, interesting. Stay in touch. Let us know how you're getting on, um, especially when this PFS comes out. I'm interested to see how the market reacts. So um, give us a call. Sounds good. Will do, man. Thank you for your time as well. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.